do love him. I got a few notes here. Unlike Brother Hughes, I do not have 30 pages. I had to enlarge the fonts to get a half a page. I do thank him for all he's done for us. And we're celebrating all through the summer different events. And this Sunday, we're celebrating our seniors. And one thing that I, I, I thought about when they said something about me talking, I'm not want to be up here, but anyway, I'm here. Brother, brother, brother Landon asked me to start this. I said, mm, I don't know, brother. He said, pray about it. I said, it'll take prayer. <laughs> but I do the love, love the Lord, all joking aside. But one thing I thought about when he, when he said something about talking, each one's going to tell their story about coming to the Lord, being saved. My most part I remember the most out of it, of course, is the living for God and enjoying his, his love for all these years. I was, got the Holy Ghost in a little church on Collison Road in Bastrop, Louisiana. We was in revival, brother, by brother Raymond Franks. It's a good friend of ours still. I was eight, nine years old. With Clyde and the three boys, I am part of six, maybe even seven generations of being in Pentecost. That's a heritage in itself. And I thank God for that heritage. Yes, I've been shielded from a lot, but I am very thankful for that. And even present here today, we have four, when my parents here, we have four generations of Pentecost right here, right now. And I am thankful for that. I've not never, ever, I know that's not good, Elias, I've not ever regretted living for God or being with God. And I do thank him so much, and I do love this church, and I love all you people. And again, welcome to Greater Life, all our seniors, and most especially all our visitors. Let's give the Lord a hand shout praise. It feels so good just I'm honored to be sharing the joy of the Lord in my life. I was born to a Pentecostal family. My grandfather and my dad were preachers. Our home had sounds of singing and prayer. When we were sick, my parents anointed with oil. I received the Holy Ghost when I was eight years old in children's church. I was baptized by Brother O.W. Williams. My dad, Reverend Elan Williams, was an old-time, fiery preacher man. My dad and mom evangelized, and my sister and I were singing daughters on flyers that were passed out. Dad became pastor of his first church of three in Artesia, New Mexico. When I was 10, they bought me a beautiful red and white pearlized accordion. I played it in church and on the banks of the river, the Pecos River in New Mexico, where Dad baptized folks in Jesus' name. In those years, evangelists stayed with the pastor. So my mother gladly cooked all the meals, and we sat around the table hearing miracles of revival. It was great times. Youth camp every year was a highlight to me, for my parents brought me back to Lufkin, Texas, and at age 15, I met my future husband there, J.P. Rose, at an altar, literally. After a consecration service, it was his love for the Lord that actually attracted me to him most. Of course, later I fell in love. The blessings of the Lord are endless. I've seen hundreds of miracles and wonders. People healed and received deliverance of the Holy Ghost in their lives. I'm rich, rich with his goodness. And now I'm glad to be a part of Greater Life Church. <laughs> Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And living for Jesus is one of the greatest adventures that someone could ever adventure on. And I am so thankful for that opportunity and pri privilege from... Uh, as a young girl, I had an experience in the Holy Ghost, my first vision 
to marriage, to another experience in the Holy Ghost, and from there an adventure and uh, seeking for God that I had lost my walk with and searching for seven years, winding up in a jail cell to deliverance and miracles God has worked in my life. And from there to home restoration, to my family, God restored after seven years of separation. All came in, was uh, baptized in Jesus' name and received the Holy Ghost, which I'm ever so grateful and thankful. And from there, we went on to uh, to Saudi Arabia and had a witness there, was able, after getting into church, to really, really uh, have an adventure in the Lord of reaching out, trying to find others to find this so great experience that I've found in Him. And from there, back from Saudi Arabia with one witness behind on to Alaska to knocking doors, bus ministry, to uh, working in nursing homes, and finally into a jail ministry. In fact, three. While in Anchorage, Alaska, I had the privilege of doing downtown a women's prison to the big prison. And I was thankful to be able to reach out for this so loving Savior and and uh, great Lord that I have found in another adventure back to Texas, to Cairo, Egypt. God allowed six witnesses there, and I'm ever grateful for those witnesses and back uh, to Texas and more work in a prison ministry. Uh, in Rust, Texas, was able to do five years there in the county jail and then on back to Alaska, back and forth, and into a home missions work, working in state parks, witnessing wherever I could go. I wanted to lift up this so great Savior that delivered me from sin and set me free. And I appreciate Him with all of my heart and soul into a home mission work, working, seeing miracles, see God work, delivering people after being bound by alcohol 14 years later, after prayer, he was uh, delivered and 14 years later was praising God that he was no longer an alcoholic. Truly living for God is an adventure, and I never want to ever get off of this road that I'm traveling with Him. But anyway, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and I love Him with all my heart and soul and for more adventures down the road. Uh, 53 years, and I'm thankful for my walk with Him. Lord bless. Good morning, my name is Barbara McMahon. I'm originally from Denver, Colorado. Um, I came to Houston, I'll tell you that in the future, but the verses that came to my mind when they asked me to do this was John 15, 16. Ye are a chosen people. I chose you, you didn't choose me. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so going all the way back, those verses remind me of my family. My family was not raised in this great truth. I never knew about the Lord till I was probably about maybe six or even five and a half. My father's side of the family, they were very Catholic. And uh, my father wasn't though, but my grandmother and all of them, they were very, very Catholic. My, and they liked to party. Not the way we like to party, but the way the world likes to party. My mother's side of the family, they were very quiet to date, but they were Catholic. Until the age of 12 years old, my mother was walking on the streets of Denver and just going to a store, and she saw an old picture show, and it was empty for a while, but she heard some singing. She went inside. That was the first time my mother ever heard about Jesus. Never knew about him loving her or caring for her. My mother, at the end of the service, they gave an altar call. She went to the altar, received the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues, had no idea what was going on in her life. That was the beginning of my mother's walk with the Lord for all the truth that she knew at that time. In 1946, my father married my mother, but before she could marry him, she had to sign all her papers that she would raise her children in the Catholic Church and baptize them. 
my mother coming out of the Catholic Church, going to the Assemblies of God, that's what the service was where she received the Holy Ghost. She went ahead. She didn't have any direction from the Spanish church she used to attend. She signed the papers, and my older brother Jimmy, myself, and, and Patsy, we were baptized in the Catholic Church. Although my father, not being a very strict Catholic, only Christmas and Easter, my mother trying to conform to what my father wanted, that's the way our life began. On Sundays, it was not going to church, it was going to the bars. My dad, my mother, uh, their friends, their children, we all went to the bars. The children sat on a different table eating potato chips and pop. You call it soda, but it was pop up in Denver. And uh, my dad, they of course would drink. My mother wasn't raised that way, so she would stand there with us children. After a while, my mother told my father, I don't want this life for my children. That was the end of the bar visits. But my mother going back to the Assemblies of God, she started going back to church and it was Spanish. And she wanted to take us children with her, but we told my dad, we didn't understand Spanish, we'd rather not go. He said, we didn't have to go. So Sundays was our play day. Across the street were my grandparents, my uncles, my aunts on this side were some of my other cousins. We just played every Sunday, not even knowing about Jesus. Think of that. And um, so just uh, we just had just a good time on Sundays, not thinking about going to church. But on Court Place, where we all grew up in Denver, at the side of the street, down the corner on Washington Street, there is now today a historical church building. And um, there was a church that used to go on. We could hear them singing. We had no idea what they were doing. We could hear them worship. We had no idea. I mean, that building rocked, but we never went to visit that church. But in 1955, a husband and a wife came and knocked on our door and invited all the children in the neighborhood. I mean, we would run around just Sundays, all of us playing, and invited us to a Sunday school. They rented that church building in the afternoon, and we all started walking to Sunday school. They started teaching us about one God. They would teach us about songs about Jesus. We learned Bible stories. I had never even heard of Bible stories. And uh, so us children, we would faithfully go and the, they were very nice people. That was our introduction to the Vaughn, brother and sister Vaughn, and the Heyman family from Louisiana. Don Heyman, Sister Pearl Heyman, and all their brothers and sisters. It was in 1956 that Brother Heyman, they built on the south side. We lived on the east side, but in the south side of Denver, they rented a green, I still remember the storefront building, it was green. They rented a storefront building, and that was the beginning of South Denver United Pentecostal Church. Every Saturday, they would come to the east side where we all lived and would remind us children not to forget they would be picking us up for Sunday school, which they did. But in the meantime, they were building a bridge to our families. And they would come and always every Saturday come and say, we're going to pick you up tomorrow, and they did. So Brother Heyman, who was the pastor, he would come every Saturday and visit with my mother. My mother was the leader of all her sisters and my grandmother, because they were all going to the Spanish Assembly of God. And he would talk to her about the Jesus name baptism. She couldn't see any difference about that. She said, well, we believe only in one God, but she could not see the difference in one God and the, what they were baptizing in. And But Brother Heyman, every Saturday he would come, but my mother did not get the revelation. One day, Brother Heyman knocked on our door. He walked in with Brother Franklin, a minister from uh, Columbia. He came in and spoke to my mother, gave her the oneness message in Spanish. The Lord brought her out of darkness into this marvelous light. And like I said, she spoke fluent English and fluent Spanish, but could not get it in English. But in Spanish, she got the revelation. And if any of you all know my mother, she was a soul winner for the Lord. It was uh, May the 24th, 1959, that my mother, her sisters, all of her sisters, 
her mother, me, and some of my cousins, we were all baptized in Jesus' name. And that was in this little storefront building. My mother felt obligated to go back to the Assemblies of God and give them the oneness message. My grandmother had a sister, my Aunt Franco. All her children and all her grandchildren went to that church. They were having a district conference and they had testimonies. You all remember testimonies. She stood up and she gave over a hundred people the message of one God. After nobody even stopped my mother, but after my mother uh, sat down after church, the district superintendent of the Assemblies of God came to my mother and said, Sister Marquez, you are walking in truth. Do not leave it. He was the district superintendent of the Spanish Assemblies of God. At that point, my mother said she knew she had received more light. So I was so thankful for my mother. We were always faithful to church. My mother thought of that. And I don't care how this weather was, we would go to church. My father passed away in 1960. I was 11 years old. Unfortunately, my father never gave his heart to the Lord, but he helped Brother Heyman build our new church on the same property where the storefront building was. In 1961, I received the Holy Ghost, and that was my walk with the Lord. I used to sing in the choir, the youth choir, the adult choir, taught Sunday school classes. In the summer, all the young people would get on the Sunday school bus and drive down to Amarillo, Texas for youth camp. We had the best time. We also knocked on doors every Saturday morning. That was just what we did because we had bus routes we had to fill. That was exactly how I was raised. In 1968, my family started the Lily of the Valley United Pentecostal Church. Uh, that was on the north side of Denver. We rented a storefront building. We went around all the blocks, invited all the children and the families, and we would have service in the morning. In the afternoon, my mother, myself, Patsy, Cindy, my younger brother and sister, we would pack up our car with our instruments. I played the accordion. Don't play it anymore. Patsy did too. Joey uh, played the saxophone, my brother, and Cindy played the guitar. We'd go to Fort Lupton, the potato fields, and we would rent a building. We started Sunday school classes for all those children. After we would take them back home, we'd rush back to Denver, get ready for service in the night. That was my life dedicated to the Lord. In 1976, I moved to Houston. I went to Texas Bible College three years. Um, I spent three and a half months in Bogota, Colombia with brother and sister Thompson. In 1984, brother James Kilgore married me and uh, my husband, my precious husband, Joe McMahon. And um, in 19, um, August the 20th of 2000, Brother Mark Morgan and Brother Jim Kilgore baptized my husband in the precious name of Jesus. I won my husband to the Lord. It's been 17 years that my husband has passed away, and it's been six, uh, 15 years that my precious mother has passed away. But what she instilled in me to live for God, no matter what, the Lord has been faithful to me. He has never failed me. He's always been my constant companion. I've never been lonely. He has always provided a way. In every way, he opened up doors where there were no doors. The Lord has truly been my faithful friend. I have been so burdened for the young couples in the church, the young people. I want you to know that learning and just knowing this wonderful truth if you could only imagine all the theologians and all these great scholars who know the Bible inside and out, but they don't have this great revelation of one God, and his name is Jesus. Get that revelation in your heart. Teach your children the truth to love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul. And remember, you are their example. If you're late to church, they'll learn how to be late to church. If you don't worship God, they'll worship God the way you worship God. When you see me worshiping God here in the church and just praising the Lord, it's because I only could imagine where I would be had the Lord not brought this great marvelous truth to my mother and to my family. 
God bless you. Come on, do you feel him in your soul right now? Woo! Come on, somebody just let out a shout of thanksgiving right now. I know that he's real. I can't speak on your behalf, but as for me, I know what I feel today. Amen, amen. We ought to be careful right now. Amen. It feels good in the house of the Lord. Amen. It feels good in my soul today. Amen, amen. We are so thankful again to have each and every one of you here. We're going to be hearing from two more people today. Amen. We're going to ask at this time, we're going to ask for Sister Sherry Shrum to come. Amen. Would y'all welcome her as she brings a word today? Praise the Lord. Real in here this morning, isn't it? Thank you, Brother Hughes and Brother Landon, for asking me to give my testimony. You may be seated. I am always delighted to share what God has done for me. I preface all that I have to say today with this fact. I had a praying grandmother who worked in the cotton fields and fasted without food or water for the souls of her family. I grew up 15 miles outside of Paris, Texas, at the end of a little gravel road in a tiny little white shack without indoor plumbing. My daddy was a cowboy and we broke horses for a living. He bought them at the auction in Oklahoma, brought them home, we broke them, we resold them. We broke them to ride and terrain. That was my first miracle, that I wasn't killed by a wild, crazy horse. <laughs> my daddy was tall and handsome. He had a great personality. People loved him and loved to be around him. He was funny. He had a beautiful singing voice. He had a heart for hurting people, and I loved my daddy. He always liked to drink, and as he grew older, he became addicted to alcohol and spiraled into the darkness of addiction. I will not elaborate because those of you who have suffered through this know the pain, the dysfunction, the shame, the confusion, and the heartache of epic proportions. I would like to insert this right here because this is very important. None of our suffering is ever in vain. God would use this experience later in my life for good. It was in this environment at 16 years old that I had an encounter with God that changed the course of my life. In that little shabby bedroom, God visited me. How awesome to think that the God who spoke this world into existence and divided the light and the dark and said to the ocean, you can only go this far, came to me. That's pretty personal. I'm reminded of what the psalmist said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Who am I that the God of heaven would come to me? That's how personal he is. He saw my brokenness. He saw the desire of my heart, and he came to me. We didn't go to church. We didn't have a church. I had no Sunday school teacher, no youth leader, just a poor country girl that God had poured his mercy on. I remember just doing all that I knew to do. I didn't even, even know what had happened to me. I remember going to my mother and daddy's bedside after this encounter. They didn't know how to help me. And, but I just went to God. And it doesn't matter if you are all alone by yourself. He will come to you. He came to me. My mother was a wonderful, morally upright woman. She had been raised by wonderful parents that were four-square gospel, 
They lived by the Ten Commandments. They, my grandfather believed in modesty and goodness, and my mother kept those values all the days of her life, regardless of the darkness that was swirling around her. She never wavered. She protected us. There's a lot of things that could have happened to us in that environment, but my mother never took her eye off of us, and she protected us from so many things. When I was 17 years old, a Pentecostal family moved in down that little gravel road from us. Now, I don't think it's by chance that they just moved in down the road. I think God moved them down the road from me. I rode the school bus with their kids, and they invited me to go to the Pentecostal church in Paris, Texas. Brother Jack Dehart was the pastor. In one clean sweep, in one night, I repented of my sins. I was baptized in Jesus' name, and I received the Holy Ghost. What a change. What a change. I married at 19, and I thank God for my husband and his devotion to his family. For the first time in my life, I felt safe and secure. And even in the last years of his life, when he was an invalid, I still felt safe and secure with him. God has been good to me. Jim and his generosity took perfect care of my mother and gave her a life that she never dreamed of having. I thank God for Jim Shrum. We moved to Houston, and I was blessed to be a part of Life Tabernacle for 44 years under the leadership of our precious Brother Kilgore. During this time, I was asked to go to the Star of Hope. And this is a huge part of my story. Because this experience at the start of, start of Hope just gave me the mindset that I have about what revival is supposed to be. I went there with a group of people that were much stronger than me. They, a lot of them were great prayer warriors, and I was younger than them, but I was willing to go. And I went with them, and... Uh, it was just the greatest experience. I will tell you now that we saw over 140 people filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. It was the first time that we went there. And, you know, you that have grown up with these things that you just kind of keep in a compartment all by themselves because it's just, this is too hard to understand. But when I went there and we worked with, uh, women and girls that were in drug and alcohol treatment. And when I walked in there and I saw the eyes of those little children and those women and girls, for the first time, I could make some sense out of my pain. Because you know what? Those women walked in there. They had so much more going for them than I did. They did. But I walked in there with something they didn't have. Because I walked in there with an understanding of the pain that was going on in the lives of those people. That's why your pain can never be wasted. It's not in vain. Use it for the glory of God. If you will take it and you will give it to God, then he will turn around and use it. It will be your greatest weapon in the kingdom of God. That was a, a wonderful experience, and it was. I was thinking about this this morning, and I wanted to share this with you. This whole thing, there was a group of us that went, but the whole church caught into this. Brother Kilgore was so excited about it, and people were getting the Holy Ghost. But I want to tell you what went on behind the scenes of that. We were totally devoted to that, praying and fasting. And my husband had a big, long Suburban, and we used that to go back and forth to the Star of Hope. We would meet at the parking lot at church at 4 o'clock and we'd get in that car and we would pray and intercede all the way down there because we knew what we were going to be dealing with when we walked in there. When you walk into those places, it's like walking into a prison, all of the spirits that you're dealing with in those places. But we would pray and God gave us miracles and God gave people the Holy Ghost. It was the most wonderful experience. That's why when I think about revival, God can do anything. We're not weak. This church is not weak. We will not cross the line weak. We will be a victorious church. We will be victorious. Amen.
we would put out a call at church. Somebody, what do you need? What do you need? What can we do to help? The, it was our life. It was our life. It was day and night. And I would say, uh, well, we need clothes. And we had this one wonderful, generous, beautiful, uh, terribly wealthy friend at Life Tabernacle. She would load up her designer clothes and bring them to the church. And those were the best dressed people. They'd probably never had clothes like that. But it was so wonderful. Or, or we would just say somebody would finally get free from the shelter and they would get an apartment. And it was like, we've got to have some furniture. These people have got to have a bed to sleep on. And, and everybody would just give. It was, that's why I know. That's why I know what this entire revival is supposed to look like. We're going to all be working together. We've got to be in unity. We've got to have one goal, and it's for the souls of men. Hallelujah. 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 There are storms that come in your life that you had nothing to do with. And there are storms that come in your life that you had everything to do with. But I'm going to tell you one thing. God will take both of them. And he'll use them for his glory if you give it to him. And if you're here today and you're hurting with the pain of your past, take the burden off your back. Give it to God and let him make it the greatest weapon for his kingdom that you could ever imagine. Is this life without heartache? Absolutely not. But I can tell you this. Today, I can honestly tell you that I am grateful for every difficult situation in my life. And I've learned that I can trust God through them all. I'm thankful for every shattered dream and for the brokenness, for all the things in life that have brought me to a place of trust in him. When I was young, I used to sing a song, which don't get scared. I'm not going to try because I can't sing anymore. And I didn't say I'm old. I said when I was young, I'm a little older. But there was a song I used to sing, and the chorus went like this. I've been through enough to know that he'll be enough for me. He's come through so many times, and that puts my mind at ease. I'd stake my very life that he's going to take good care of me. I've been through enough to know that he'll be enough for me. At the, at the convention, Brother Drosh used a little clip of Brother Kilgore that he used to say, and all of you will remember, he would say, I'm not going to retire, I'm going to refire. Well, I'm telling you, I may be a little older and a little slower, but know this, I've still got some fire in my bones. Amen. I want to pour myself out for the kingdom of God. I want my life to be an offering before him. Let's all stand together for the, for the glory of God and for the sake of the kingdom. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. What a word. Amen. What a word. Amen. Our next guest is Sister Leanne Hughes. We want to welcome her at this time and we want the Lord to use her. Amen. Amen. We love you. Sister Sherry should have went last. Oh my Lord. How can I can be seated? How can I compete with that? I just thought it was supposed to be testimony service, Sherry. Wow. I am thankful. I'm thankful to be in greater life. Let me just tell you that. I love greater life. And this December, I will have, we will have been here 20 years. Can't believe it. Time goes by when you're having fun. I'm thankful to tell my testimony. I'm really thankful to tell my testimony. In Revelations 12, 11, it says, And they overcame him by the Lord of the Lamb and by the word 
of their testimony. So your testimony counts. If you think, well, I don't have anything to say. I'm not, nothing's ever really good happened to me. Yes, it has. If you have the Holy Ghost, something good happened to you. So you do have a testimony. <clears throat> and God has been good to me. Brother Kilgore used to ask, I wonder if there's anyone here that thinks God has been better to them than anybody else. And I would try to be the very, remember Michelle? I would try to be the very first one on my feet because he had been better to me. And all of us need to have that mindset. That's what wins people, our testimony. They can relate. A long, 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 long time ago, there was a little girl and her brother <clears throat> that had parents that decided that they couldn't make their marriage work. I was one, and my brother was five and a half. Now, my dad had been in World War II and had served in the Navy on a destroyer. My mother was the little princess of three brothers. Her daddy gave her anything she wanted. She soon became a party girl, sneaking out at night, drinking and smoking in the bathroom or whatever. That's what they used to say. Many for you old-time people, you understand what I'm talking about. Uh, anyway, she just kind of was the party girl. Well, they met up and were married for a very few years. After a very few years of marriage, my parents decided they couldn't live together, so they got a divorce. My mother, my brother and I lived with my mother's parents and mother until my grandfather died. At the age of three, my mother decided that she could not take care of us anymore. I am 70, and to this day, I really do not know why she decided. It, it was like hush-hush in the family, why she could not take care of us anymore. So we went to live with my dad and his parents. Now, I had awesome grandparents. I can just tell you, they were the best. And I loved my dad, and he was so kind. He would do anything for anybody, any the neighbors. He would fix things. He was real handy with his hands. But when he drank, he was so mean, so mean. And he could never keep a job. He was a welder by trade. He could never have a car because he would be picked up in jail and put in jail for long extended times for DWI. I remember as a little girl going with my grandmother on a bus downtown to see my dad in jail. And we, I mean, he would have to stay like six months for a long time. Um, mother only picked us up if she was taking us um, to her mother's or if she just happened to have time for us. That's the only time she would, we ever saw her. Um, when I I'm going to get a little bit ahead and then go, go back a little bit. When I was, uh, was eight, and I want you to remember the age eight, when I was eight, uh, she married my stepdad, and I remember going to the, um, we called them beer joints back then, uh, to, the beer, to the beer joints, and that's where, that's where she would take uh, me, and I would get a Coke, and she would get me a bunch of quarters, and I got to play the pinball machine, and I thought that was the greatest thing in the whole wide world. Because, I mean, I was, my family was so dysfunctional. That's just, I thought that was great in a child's mind. I was probably, going back to, I was probably seven. And that was my first memory of ever really praying. Ever praying. 
One night, my dad came in, and he was very, very, very drunk. And he pulled a knife on my grandmother and me, and he threatened to kill us. Needless to say, my grandmother gave this grown man a good pop on both ears. He threw the knife down. He went cursing back to his room, and quickly I crawled under the table, grabbing the knife and hiding it. My grandmother began to cry, grabbing her chest, and she'd already had one heart attack. I laid her on the couch. I, I was there by myself with her. And the only prayer, I didn't know how to pray. I had no idea how to pray. And the only prayer I knew was the Lord's Prayer, which was I prayed out loud, Our Father. And in that little prayer, I think I touched the heart of God. I think that was the turning point in my life. I remember my dad would come in and he'd bring in bottles of whiskey and all this and we'd sneak around and we'd pour the whiskey out. And it, I mean, it, it wasn't a game. It was just, and he was so drunk, he didn't even know we poured the whiskey out. When I was eight years old, and I remember I said eight a while ago that my mother had married my stepdad. At that particular time when she was taking me to the beer joints, I was eight years old, and a Pentecostal family moved across the street from me. And it was no accident, Sister Sherry. God ordained that. A Pentecostal family moved across the street from me, and their eight-year-old daughter and I became best friends. They would take me to church, to vacation Bible school, and sometimes to Sunday school a few times. But soon, I was a part of their family. Their family treated me just like I was their very own daughter. I can remember she took piano lessons, and she tried to teach me, showing me the keys and all this. They were so patient, Brother Clyde that they allowed me to play and bang on the piano while they ate dinner. They really had a burden for me. Many, many times when the chaos of my home was so bad, I would run to their home and hide in the closet looking for a safe place. I was so frightened. Looking back now, to then, we realized that my dad probably had PTSD from the atrocity of war, and unfortunately back then there was no help at all. So one day my little friend came to my home. She was so excited. She was telling me she got the Holy Ghost at youth camp. She said, oh, Leanne, I got the Holy Ghost. And I went, I confidently said, well, I'll tell you what, if you got it, I'm going to get it. I had no idea what the Holy Ghost was. But if she got it, I was going to get it. And I was going to raise the money. If it cost money, I was going to get it. And sure enough, six months later, at the age of 12, I received the Holy Ghost. And, and... 58 years later, I still have it. I've never lost it. Well, maybe a little. No, I'm teasing. I was soon baptized, and I felt like I was a kid in a candy store. I loved everybody at that church, and they loved me. They treated me like a little princess. It was, it was just wonderful. Now, mother was in and out of my life only when she had time for me. That was the only time. <clears throat> One church service, my dad walked into the church so drunk that he stumbled down the aisle to the second row where I was sitting, and I was horrified. Quietly, my friend's dad and an usher escorted him out of church and took him home. 
Seven years later, he died in VA hospital. But he would always tell me he was going to go to church with me. He said, I'm going to go to church with you, Leanne. But he never got that opportunity. But as things went on, at the age of 21, I was faithful to God all that time. God sent me James. My James. Now, not only did I get to marry the love of my life, but he sent me a real family. A real family. When I was a little girl, I would cry in my bed and go, why can't I have a family like everybody else? Why? It's not fair. Why? But he sent me one. I just had to wait. I could be a part of this family. And oh, how I love the Hughes family. With the Longs. With the Bankins. Everybody that is in it. I love them. They were that wonderful family that I always dreamed about. And then he sent me Jill and Anthony. And oh, how I love my babies. They were 13 months apart. Now, if you have several hours, I could tell you the terror that they caused me. <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of frightening experiences, such as Anthony locking Jill in the dryer <laughs> and him not being able to talk and tell me where he was, just that he would point and I would, you know, finally after about 15 minutes, we decided to go get, see what the problem was. We could barely hear her crying. When we got her out, her face was red as I don't know what. Thank the Lord it wasn't one of those dryers, you know, you shut and it starts. <laughs> but they were nothing but pure joy for me. And you know what? All I've ever wanted to do was create a safe place for them. And that's what we as parents, no matter where we come from, no matter what our life is like, whether we were raised in it, born in it, whether we were adopted into it, we want to create a safe place for our families and our grandbabies. Grandchildren, not, I don't have babies anymore. James and I will be married 49 years this August. And we've been in the ministry the whole time of 49 years. And I don't know what God saw in me, but let me tell you something. I know what I saw in God. Our lives are like stories. They're like one chapter after another. There are hard chapters. There are chapters that make you laugh. There are chapters that make you cry. We never know where God's going to take us. That little girl with the hand-me-down clothes has gotten to walk through the Queen of England's bedroom. She's got to see the crown jewels. She's also got to drive several hours to a church with a, just a tin roof to the mountains of Costa Rica. And there were men that walked six hours through the jungle just to go to church. I cried so hard when I met those people that sacrificed so much to hearing the gospel. Seeing the crown jewels had nothing compared to meeting these people. I have been so fortunate. I don't know why God loved me. I, I don't know why he loved me, but he did. And because of that, I owe a great debt. Now, one of the hardest lessons I have ever, ever had to learn was forgiveness. After having Jill and Anthony were born and we 
we tried to have some type of relationship with my mother. My dad was gone. When I was 47 years old, my mother, who was virtually who had virtually abandoned my brother and I, became ill. And I became responsible for her. I remember arguing. Now, this is a true fact. I remember arguing with God uh, that I didn't want to do this. She didn't care about me. I didn't remember her ever buying me a dress. I didn't remind her giving me anything special. I, this just wasn't fair, God. Why are you making me do this? But gently, I can tell you on 2950 Broadway where I was, gently God reminded me that honoring your parents is not optional. It doesn't matter if they've been good to you. It does not matter if they've been bad to you. There is no option. It was so important. If it hadn't have been so important, why would he have put it in the Ten Commandments? That's what I always tell everybody. Now, I'm 70 years old. I know I don't look it. Uh, I feel it. And I do not have any regrets, no regret, that I honored both my mother and my dad and my grandparents. I, I have to put my grandparents in there. I have no regrets that I honored them. Now, I have a little saying that I like to say that yesterday's like a canceled check. It's only worth the paper it's written on. It's all it's worth. And tomorrow's a promissory note. Only worth the words that you promise to do, but you may not fulfill. Today's like cash. Use it. Spend it. And spend it on good things. Be kind to that parent that may have forsaken you. Be kind to the person that might need a word of encouragement. Be kind to people. You know, we're in the people business. We do not know who's going to walk through those doors tonight, next Sunday, Wednesday, but we're in the people business. And I hope when I stand before God that he will say, well done, that you did invest in people. Whether it was at... Life Christian Academy, whether it was at Texas Bible College, whether it was teaching a Sunday school class to eight-year-olds. I've done it. Got the t-shirt. Whether it was for, you find, a, okay, I'm going to add this. This is not in my notes. You find a place where you can be used in the church. Everybody has a place. Everybody cannot play the piano. Everybody cannot play the organ. Everybody, even though I wanted to play the piano, but I didn't ever practice enough. So, you know, why would I get up there and play? Uh, but everybody, everybody can greet. How hard is that? I'll give you a plug, Sister Sarah. But people can teach small children just that, I mean, and you know, when you invest in people, you have to invest of yourself. Amen. Investing your life in people is what we do because that's what Jesus did. He invested in 12 men. And because of investing in 12 men, look how the church grew and where we are today. I'm thankful that I'm, once again, say I'm thankful I'm at greater life. And I, I may be old. Well, really, maybe not old. But older. I may be older, Sister Sherry. Oh, she's telling me stop saying it. 
that's okay. Uh, but I have something still to give. And I am not going to sit and not do it. Praise God. Man, what, what powerful, powerful witnesses we've heard today. Amen. I have laughed and I've cried a little bit. And the wonderful common denominator of all the stories is one, Jesus. Amen. What a difference he's made in so many of our lives, and all of our lives, but in such a profound way. You see people sitting prim and proper, and they're all dressed up, and you think, well, they don't understand what I'm going through, and you never have a clue until you hear what we've heard today of a lot of the living hell that people went through to get to the heaven that God has given us a taste of here in this place. Amen. I'm thankful for what I've heard today. I feel a great wealth. Uh, I feel like somebody has gone to my bank today and deposited a million-dollar check. Amen. The psalmist said something that I believe is powerful for us to remember. Psalms 145 and verse number 4. And they're going to put it up in the New Living Translation. But it is a verse that we must always keep foremost in our mind. And when they get it up, I want you to read it with me. Psalms 145 and verse number 4. I know what the King James says. One generation shall praise thy works to another. But look at what the New Living says. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts and let them proclaim your power talking about the Lord's power let each generation tell its children I have an obligation I have an indebtedness that I must share with others of the goodness of God in my life. And I agree when Brother Kilgore would ask, who has God been the best to? Everybody wanted to be the first one up because when you really examine your life, you realize God has been too good to me for me not to praise Him. So why don't we do that for a little while right now? Oh, we love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. What a wonderful Savior. What a great and mighty God you are. You have helped us today, Lord. You have strengthened us today. I am thankful for what I have heard. I feel so blessed right now. Amen. I feel so blessed right now. And so here, here's what I want us to do to finish service. If you're with your family or your friends or your friends have become your family, which there's a lot of that, I want you to find four or five of them and I want you just to come and let's get as close to the front as we can and we're going to finish service up at the altar today. Would you do that? Just find some friends. Come and gather around the altar together. This is the most important place in our life. This is where things change. This is where destinations change. This is where directions for life change. It all happens at an altar. Come on in. Come on if you would. Come on up close here. Let's make room. Everybody, come on. We'll have everybody participating today. I, I, we're not going to pull any tricks out on you tonight or today. We're but I just feel such a deep indebtedness. I feel so grateful today that I have the opportunity to stand with God's people. If you don't have a family, you're standing with one today. Let this family embrace you. Let this family 
become the strength of your life. Let it become what gives you hope. Oh, let's praise him together right now. Lord, we love you today. We thank you that you have given us so much, so rich an investment, God. You have blessed us far more than we deserve. You have given to us, Lord, blessings and power and anointing. God, your goodness and your mercy, they follow us all the days of our life. We are blessed. 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 